What was Boaz before he got married? Ruthless. <laughs> Who's the smartest person in the Bible? Abraham, because he knew a lot. What's God's favorite chord? Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Where is the first tennis match mentioned in the Bible? Joseph served in the courts of Pharaoh. (laughs) Can I have the next slide? What car did the uh, wise men turn up to see Jesus in? Yes, a Honda Accord. Because the Bible says the wise men all came in one accord. (laughs) What's the difference between Jesus and a pizza? You you can't top Jesus. (laughs) Or Jesus can't be topped. Can I have the next slide, please? Need an ark? I know a guy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I put the stud in Bible study. (laughs) I also put the bib in Bible study. (laughs) And just to, to, to wind up this... Line of dad jokes. I've got the dad joke to answer dad jokes. Three elephants were walking along and they fell off a cliff. Two landed on the ground and one landed in the water. Ba boom. <laughs> Before you stone me, I want you to know that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There we go. Welcome to 2021. Romans 8 is no joke Um, sorry I'm I'm just going to go for it now (laughs) Um, so I'm just going to touch skim across the surface of this and touch a few things that really I mean there's so much in Romans 8 you could probably talk on it for weeks Uh, and and there's just so much you can get out of it but I want to hit a few keynotes, I guess. And we'll start with, with Romans 8, verse 1. There is no condemnation in Christ, in, for those in Christ Jesus. It is, it's actually quite a confronting start to this chapter in many ways, especially when, when you take Romans 8 in the context of the letter, it comes just after Romans 7, right, where there's all this talk about, funnily enough, uh, <laughs> Where, where Paul is talking about the challenge, you know, the, this, you know, I, I, I want to do right, but I do wrong, right? And the law of law of sin is at work in me, and all this kind of stuff. And I, I guess, I feel like a fair amount of my walk with Christ, I feel like I'm living in Romans seven, not Romans eight. And, uh, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think, you know, we need to just follow the chain of this, right? So, God. The Father does not condemn Jesus. And therefore those that are in Jesus are also not condemned. We are not condemned. 
We will not be condemned. We can not be condemned. If, and if you think about this, right, if, if Jesus is the head and I'm the hand, you can't condemn, you can't sort of bless the head and condemn the hand, right? That's one body, right? If, if Jesus is the head, you can't condemn the other parts of it, right? So if I'm in him, not through anything I've done, if I'm in him, I am beyond condemnation from Christ, uh, from, from God. The verdict is not less condemnation, and this is one of the things. When I think about this phrase, I, I have all these kind of weird reactions to it. But the verdict is not less condemnation. It's not like our standing has been improved a little bit because Jesus did something. We have been transformed. Our standing, we have gone from condemned to not condemned. This is not a, a sliding scale, right, where you get slightly less condemned slightly less condemned or whatever this is we go we are plucked as it says in Colossians from the kingdom of darkness into the light so we have been transformed we've been pulled out of this place of condemnation and we are no longer condemned isn't that awesome I mean happy new year that's cool that's cool and I think though there's another another way to think about this though as well if you are not in Christ Jesus, then there is condemnation for you. And I think we often want to uh, soften or hide the parts of our message which seem harsh. But this is the truth. Right? You're, you're either in Christ Jesus or you're not. And if you are, you're not condemned. If you aren't, you are. So I think it's, you know, and, and it's, it's worth us remembering that for those people we know who aren't in Christ Jesus and how, do we, and how do we find ways to show the love that God had when he gave Jesus to be the sacrifice for us so that we could be beyond condemnation. So this place of confidence and peace that Paul talks about comes after the confusion and the, the conflict of Romans 7. And, and I think this is one of the things that really resonates with me about this, this, the, the way that the letter opens, uh, the, uh, Romans 8 opens, is that you have, he recognizes that we're in this battle and that we are in this place where we're kind of in the already and the not yet of the kingdom, you know, we are saved, we are perfect, we are holy, and at the same time, we are fallen, we are broken, we are sinful and, 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 and impure, and we, we, we struggle with this cycle. And when, if you think about that, and you think about, and you're, you're focusing on that struggle, I think what Paul is doing here is he's saying, but when I turn my eyes to Jesus, I see everything anew. And I know that, you know, when I'm going through hard times, I get all down on myself, right? I mean, it says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and I'm the first person to condemn myself. You know, oh, man, you should have done this. You shouldn't have done that, you know, and all this kind of stuff. 
And, and if I'm only focusing on my struggle against my fallenness and my struggle against sin, then that's all I see. But if I turn to face Jesus on the cross, resurrected, on the throne, he who came and did all that fighting for me, then I can see his victory. And if I can see his victory, I know that that victory is for me because I'm in him. His victory is my victory. Therefore, I'm not condemned. It's just, you know, and, and I think that's one of the things that I would, I would encourage us to do this year. So, you know, I, I found last year quite difficult. Uh, I think a lot of people did. I didn't take very long off. I'm back at work and actually, you know, it's pretty full on. It's, it's kind of carrying on as it means to continue, as it were. And, and that's all good, but if I start to focus on all of that stuff and all, everything, everything that's kind of hard, then that's what I see. But as, as uh, we sung this morning, he's with us, he's for us, and he's there wherever we are. And we have him. You know, he is faithful to us. We can lean back into him. You know, the old trust fall thing, right? Where you lean back and you get caught. It's not really a trust fall with God. I mean, it, it is, but he's always going to catch you, right? So, so we can look to him. You know, last week, James spoke about how do we find moments to be still? And how do we find moments of stillness in our day so that we can just re-center, refocus on him? Um, one of the things I've done is I've put a little time at the beginning of my day because once the day gets going, it gets really busy and I don't have much time to do that kind of thing. So just as I get into work, I get my coffee and I go and find an empty meeting room and I spend some time with God. At least that's my intention. I did it once last week, which was good, but then people booked things over my meeting. So, um, But I've got to I've work out this cycle. How do I actually take time to be still and refocus and just center myself a little bit on the King of Kings? Because he's Lord of my work. He's Lord of the government. He's Lord of this country. He's Lord of the world. He is the King of Kings. And he does not condemn me. Uh, there's a, a, a nice little note that I got out of this when I was looking at someone's commentary on it. They said, Romans, Romans 8 begins with no condemnation and ends with no separation. And in the middle, there's no defeat. That's good. It's just that, 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 it's that progression through it. So as he is not condemned, as Jesus is not condemned, we are not. We are set free. The law of sin and death can seem absolute, right, because it's what we see. And you see, you know, we, we, we do things, we, we know we do things that aren't good, or, and we see cemeteries, right? But the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ is far more powerful. Though we inevitably do sin, we don't have to sin. We can overcome it in Christ. We are freed from the power of death. It has no lasting power against us. Romans 8.1 tells us we are free from the guilt of sin. Romans 8.2 tells us we are free from the power of sin. Can I have the next slide, please? This is a little quote I found, right? Moses' law has right, but not might, right? So we, in, in, in the letter, we... Paul talks about the law and in other places about how the law did not have the power to overcome sin. Sin has might, but not right. It has power, but obviously it's not good. The spirit, 
the law of the spirit has both might and right, and that is what inhabits, that's what is inside us, right? When Jesus says, he who is in you is stronger than he who is in the world, that's what he means. So I'm going to jump forward a little bit to Romans eight twenty-eight. So there's lots of good stuff in between uh, 8, 1 and 2, and then, uh, but we're going to jump into eight twenty-eight. And we know that in all things, can I have the next slide please? And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his good purpose. And then we, it says after that, for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might, that, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined he also called, those he called he justified, those he justified he also glorified. So God is sovereign. He is the king of kings. He is the lord of the universe, the creator of everything. And he has a plan and he unfolds that plan. Even though we may face suffering, right? So in Romans 8.13 and through that part there, Paul talks about the sufferings that we might face. Even though we face suffering, God is able to make those that suffering work together for your good and his good. And God is able to make all things work together. He's not just the God of some things. You know, it, 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 I, don't, I don't know about you, but I find it really easy to kind of mentally partition my life. And I, I guess I have this thing where without really thinking about it, God is more in some places than others. But actually, he's everywhere. And he's in everything, and he is sovereign, and he has power over everything. He doesn't, it's easy for us to feel like God is not in some parts of our lives, but he, and, and I think if I look back at last year, and all the things that went on um, for me, both personally and in my work, and all the other stuff that was going on in the country and the world and all that, at the time, I didn't necessarily see the hand of God, but when I look back at it, I can. I really encourage you, one of the things to do is to look back and and ask him. Say, God, where were you at work? What were you doing? Can you show me your hand on what has happened? Whether it's about last year or whatever. Because he is working all things together for your good and his good. And he will show you his hand. You'll see his fingerprints all over it all over what's going on. So can I have the next slide, please? Is this, uh, Paul, this is something that I find um, comes across sometimes in my language when I'm talking about God and what he does and, and, and also sometimes in the language and the things I hear from Christians. You know, Paul is saying here that God is the author of our salvation and that is from beginning to end. He's the author of our salvation from beginning to end. We are not to think that God can only take action when we graciously give him permission. I think it's really easy for us to get into a place where I haven't invited God in there so he can't be there. I don't think we ever really say that to ourselves. I mean, I have actually said that to myself once or twice, but mostly it's almost, it's a kind of an assumption that we make that we carry into our faith. Oh, well, God can't be there. He can't be in that thing. It's too big, it's too dark, it's too painful, it's too whatever. Oh, he's not there. 
we don't have to invite him into that. He will work in us and he will work in the world around us for our good. And he will turn those things into things that work together for our good. When we were uh, praying before the service, I had a picture of, uh, in the worship, that when we sang it would be like heat, like there'd be the heat of God. And that, you know, when gold and silver melt, and I, I saw it molten gold and silver flowing into molds, And there's a sense that when we turn to the Lord and we praise him and we seek his face, he melts us and molds us and makes us the people he designed us to be. I think, though, that when we think about uh, being conformed into his likeness, right? So uh, it says in verse 29, "For For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. That, that our participation in this is essential. So this is, there's this really, one of the things I love about our faith is that there's this kind of both and thing to it. We are both absolutely 100% pure and holy before the Lord right now. And yet at the same time, you know, if I look back at the last couple of weeks, I have not been 100% pure and holy. Um, and so there's this, there's this kind of, not paradox, but this this thing where we are living in both worlds at once. And so there is this thing, God is sovereign, and he will act, and he will move, and he will do as he does in your life and in the lives of those around you. But also he calls us into partnership with him. He calls us into co-creation with him. He calls us into uh, walking with him and being his partners and stewarding the world and stewarding the and, and, and our lives and all of this. And so our participation is essential. It's reflected in the goal. The more we are to be conformed, the more we participate in this, the more we are conformed to be like Christ. Christ perfectly conformed to God's plan and will for him. And this is a process he does with us, not just something he does to us. Can I have the next slide, please? There's a great song by a band called Sixpence None the Richer called Breathe Your Name. And it's, it's, it's a really good song. I, I, highly, I highly recommend listening to it. But in it, it has two bridges. So the, the one on the left is the first one. I view the list. I take my pick. I view my fate and make the choice because it's nobody else's but mine. I choose. But then later on, it means she's singing about, breathe your name as she's singing about God. You view the list. You take your pick. You view my fate and make your choice because I'm nobody else's but yours. So there's this thing, and, and I, I love the way that sometimes really good poetry can sum up really complex theology in, in a few lines, right? Six lines of that. We have free will and predestination all kind of articulated in one, and poof, it's both. We are predestined and we have the choice, the will to choose. So, and if you think of what does being conformed to Christ mean? He is the perfect human. He was, his humanity, humanity was perfected in him and we are being conformed into that perfected humanity. And when we participate in that and we partner and walk with God in that, he 
you know, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, when it says that we are being transformed from glory to glory into the likeness, likeness of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And I've summarized that quite badly, but that's the, you know, that, that, but it's God who's acting in that. He is transforming us. And, and, you know, I think let this year be a year of transformation. Let this year be a year of going, yes, God. What is it that you want me to do? Where is it that you want me to be? How is it that you, who do you, who did you make me to be? I'm reading a really good book called Garden City by John Mark Comer. And it's a theology of calling, work, and rest. And he, he's, he's saying, you know, one of the things he says is that you are, you're made for this time. You are made for this time. You are made for this life. So what is it in that that God made you for? What can you, you know, and, and how can you then seek that and do it? One of the things he talks about that I found really challenging is focus. Because I've got like so many different things that I want to do or that I'm kind of doing and, and all sorts of things. And he's, he's like, Jesus was laser focused. He knew what he was doing. And he could say no to the other stuff. We live in such a distracted world, such a distracted world. There is so much calling for our attention. How about we lean back into Jesus and go, okay, Jesus, what is it? What's my focus? Funnily enough, my boss at work, uh, just before Christmas, just before I started reading this book, so when I got to the chapter on focus, I had to laugh. He said, Matt, you know, you have lots of good ideas, and I hired you because you have lots of good ideas, but you can't have any more. You've got to deliver the ones you've got. Right? Focus. Pick three things and do them. And do them till they're done. Once they're done, pick some more. And, uh, and then, then I read this thing, you know. So, so I just, uh, you know, for, that, for me, that's a part of the word, right? If we can rest on the truth that there is no condemnation for us in the Lord because we are in Christ Jesus. And we can rest in the truth that all things will work together for the good, for our good. Because he loves us and he's making us to be the people he made us to be. Then we can, we can, maybe we can say no to some things and yes to some things. So I'm going to wrap up. Just We're going to jump to the end. In, in uh, verse 31... Paul then is responding, he's actually responding to the last seven chapters, but he's particularly responding to what he's written in chapter 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Can I have the next slide, please, Sam? I, I actually, this is another one I struggle with, right? I actually find Romans 8 a really challenging chapter. Our weak hearts, prone to legalism and unbelief, receive these words with great difficulty. God is for us. God is for you. I hear that and my first thing is, but I did this. I was like that. But that doesn't matter, right? As, as it says here, right? We have failed him, but he is for us. 
We are ignorant of his ways and his plans, but he is for us. We have not yet brought much forth much fruit, but he is for us. He is for you. You know, they, they, we've got God in our corner. Right? i got this great quote. Um, One person plus God makes an unconquerable majority. When we, when we started uh, and when the worship started, there was not as many people here. And James made a comment about how we're not full, but, um, but God is in the room with us. And, I, and my, my thought was, we're not full, but God fills the room. Right? Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, at our home, at our work, at the picnic, um, at the whatever, one plus God is an unconquerable majority. He is with us. He is not just with us. He is for us. I forget that. I really do. I forget that a lot. Uh, he, he, you know, it just, it's easy to lose sight of that in the, the, all the distractions of the world and all the chaos and all the stuff that's going on and all the things that I'm worried about or all the things that I've kind of fractured my focus on because I want to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And, uh, He's for me. He's for us in all of it. So I, I, that's my challenge to myself for this year. You know, I mean, this is the thing where I feel like I'm, I don't care if any of you are listening to this because it's making, it's, it's, it's what I need to hear, right? I mean, I do care, but you know, but, it, but I, need to, I need to hear this and I need to be reminded that I am not condemned. That all things, he will work all things together for my good and for his good. And that he is for me. And because of that, I am more than a conqueror. Even though I don't feel like it sometimes, much of the time, in him I can overcome. Nothing can stand against me. I mean, the, the last part, really, whoever's going to speak on Romans, you know, I mean, there's so much good in here about what we, the promises he has for us, the promises he has when he's for us. It's such good stuff. But we remember that. You are not condemned. He will not condemn you. You cannot be condemned. You are beyond condemnation from God if you're in Christ. He will work your life and work your life to make pure gold. Whatever's going on. And he is in your corner. He is on your side. He's the, the coach, the manager, whatever, whatever, you know, he's there on the field with you, playing the game. You know, he's there for you.